Today on The Black Goat, we talk about being little goats, what we were like as kids, and a letter about how to keep up with the latest in open science. Hi, everybody, and welcome to The Black Goat. Uh, I'm Sanjay Srivastava, and I'm here with, uh, as always, Samin Vizier. Hi, Samin. And you get a wave this time. Last time you complained that I didn't wave to you. I said you first, and I waved to you. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, you froze on Skype for me, so I'm just guessing that you just said hi to me. (laughs) (laughs) God damn it. (laughs) Total wasted opportunity. And hi, Alexa. You get a wave, too. Yeah. Hey, Sanjay. Well, now you've, is... now you've relegated me to second position, and Samin doesn't even know that you waved at her first. So. Oh, God. I can't, I can't win today. I just can't win. This It'll is, be a it, surprise it to me when like, I listen to the podcast. Yeah, it's always interesting because, like, we – I think we've mentioned this before. We record this over Skype with video so we can see each other. And then, like, when I listen to it later and I'm sort of, like, remembering, like, you know, Samin laughing at – well, Samin doesn't laugh. I'm remembering Alexa <laughs> laughing at something that happened. <laughs> Samin breathing heavily during the episode, however, however that went. So there was like a moment, I was editing last week's episode, and there was a moment where I said something, and Samin laughed really hard, and I got so much pleasure out of like listening to that while I was editing. I was like, oh my god, I made Samin laugh. This is amazing. You know, all those times that you edit out me breathing heavily, that's actually me laughing. That's how I laugh. (laughs) (laughs) She's a laugh breather. Alexa, I I don't want to like... Maybe this is a little creepy, but you should totally make that your ringtone. Just like some <laughs> laughing. <laughs> yeah. Or like at least your ringtone for when Samin calls you or something or when she texts you. Um, uh, could just be like how, how you know. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I'm I, something I was thinking about uh, actually just this morning as I was walking in. Um, and I, I'm curious what you guys think of this. Uh, I was talking recently to a grad student about um uh like who's sort of you know a, a brand new grad student about like the job market in a few years and how sort of if if this person starts pre-registering and doing all this open science blah 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 you know sort of like how that's going to affect them on the job market and you know i was trying to convey how like all these big institutions are changing and things are going to be you know, things have already changed a ton and they're going to be different in a few years and one of the things that you know as i was sort of like you know, in this email rattling off kind of some of the changes that kind of occurred to me. And I'm curious what you guys think of this, because I'm not even sure that I believe this. But it, it was a contrast to me between how kind of sometimes fraught the conversations can be sort of within the field in an insider level. And, and in part because there's all this other stuff on top of just the science. Like, we're, we're not that big of a field. You know, we're small enough, and probably most academic fields are, where, like, people know each other, and there are sort of personal loyalties and relationships, but also just these are real human beings and all these other things, and, and everything gets very complicated, and it's like, who did your advisor's advisor work with because those are the people you spend time with at the conferences and whatever else. But that to, to outside stakeholders, to people that aren't, kind of part of all the sort of the good and bad parts of being a kind of tight community you talk about replicability and they're just like well yeah like (laughs) of course like the the stuff you should do should be replicable and well yeah like of course the 
the data that you collect with federal money should be available to other scientists. And, and, you know, because as I was listing, I was saying, like, NIH now has this rigor and reproducibility thing that has to be part of every grant. And, like, you know, you talk to journalists, and, and they're all like, yeah, duh. And it's sort of like that to outside stakeholders, a lot of this stuff seems less controversial sometimes. And, and when those are the people with the money or with the reputational control or other things, it kind of... But I, I don't. I, I, I'm not actually sure. I believe that <laughs> it was something that I was kind of thinking about this morning. I don't. Know, I'm curious. What do you guys think? And, and you know, does that does that seem right? Or yeah. I've been thinking about this recently too because I've been talking to people, sort of either both in the field and outside of the field, about um, Simine's Slate article that came out last week. And um, I realized that when I talk to people who are outside of the field, and even people who are inside of the field but, like, not really – haven't really been keeping up with replicability that much, I have to give, like, a 20-minute intro spiel before I explain, (laughs) like, what Simine's article is about. Um, And so I was talking to one of my friends who actually – is fairly informed about replicability stuff, even though she is not um, in psychology at all and has no reason to be as informed as she is. Um, and so she read Samin's article, and she was like, "She was like, well, this is this is cool, but like, why doesn't Samin talk about how important replicability is? Like, she was like, a, a, the average you know member of her audience is not going to know like that bullying and scientific criticism are conflated." Um, she was like, why doesn't she just say like why replicability is really important and like introduce the audience to that? Like they're not even going to know that. And I was like, no, 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 but you don't understand. Like it's a huge problem that scientific criticism and bullying are conflated in our field. And this is like a constant problem. Um, but I think that she is also, so I think that the point that Simeon made is really important, but I also think that she is right that like the average person who is sort of like reading an article in Slate is just like, oh yeah, this like issue of replicability seems important, you know? Um, so we get into sort of like the nitty gritty details. Um, but yeah, when you take one step out, it's like, oh yeah, this, these issues are obviously important and people sort of like immediately get the, like the main issues, I think. Yeah. I think it's really important and refreshing to talk to people outside of academia, outside of science, because my favorite experience with this was a radio interview I did with this radio show called Inflection Point. It's a woman host who interviews women who are like trying to change things or whatever, changing the status quo or something like that. And so she was interviewing me from the perspective of just like an informed, educated person, but not a scientist. And she would ask me questions like, don't we learn in third grade that if you predict something that has to come before the finding, like you can't, like she was describing (laughs) harking and she was like, why would anyone ever think that's okay? And it was like, no, I had to be like, there is no good reason. You are right. Like, it's ridiculous that we ever convinced (laughs) ourselves that this is okay. Um, Or like sharing data or things like that. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that it is really nice to take a step back and think about like, wait, if a scientist says they don't want to share their data just because they don't want to, like, that's allowed. Like, if that's their only reason is that they just don't feel like Mm it. Um, I think it's really, really helpful to think about that. And for me also, like I, my parents serve that purpose a lot. I talk to each of them independently about a lot of this stuff. And my dad was staying with me recently. Like, so I know he was on an episode a few weeks back and he, he still was still in the U S so he came back and stayed with me a few more days. And it was when like a lot of shit was going down on psych map. And it was also like the day that my slate article came out and stuff. So because we were spending, you know, most of the day together, I had to like go into a lot of detail about 
why Alexa was having to like moderate psych map while you know on her way to teach at the prison and all this stuff and it was really funny to be like no 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 but but you don't understand dad like this person said this thing and that's really bad but then this other person misinterpreted it this way whatever and it was it's like wait what like you know you take a step back and you're like okay but actually there are also there are issues within the field that are really really important and then there are issues that transcend our field and we shouldn't forget that they affect, you know, consumers of science and taxpayers and Mm -hmm. all these other people. And that our little dramas on the, you know, we have to remember that both are, there's both perspectives and sometimes the insider perspective is really, really important. And sometimes it lets you forget about the bigger picture. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, the, the way, you know, we're a community and, you know, scientists are in these sort of overlapping communities and, and that's a really huge part of people's lives. And, you know, yeah, I'm not, I'm not trying to dismiss that at all. And, and I, you know, what you just said is really important to me and that we have to remember that that matters as well. Like, I think it's, you know, there's this, this joke people make, um, which I, I make too sometimes that like, you know, in academia, the, the fights are so intense because the stakes are so low. And, uh, um, I think that's kind of dismissive of some of the things that, you know, that we have to work out together as a community. But yeah, I think the, the point also that being accountable out to the rest of the world for, you know, making progress, being accountable for coming up with real solutions. And, and you know, science doesn't always work the way people think it should work. Um, it's not like all of the, like, you know, this doesn't square with my third grade, whatever. It's it's not like it's always the third grade perception that's right. But we have to we have to be prepared to justify to people, we, you know, and, and we can and should explain to people, like, okay, you think science should do this, but it really does that. And, and if, you could, if you can explain to a smart person outside who's a stakeholder, then you're good. Um, but, I, you know, I think having to do that explanation is a really important kind of tool for sorting out, like, can I defend this thing about how we work to a smart person who has no interest in the internal politics, but who cares a lot about what we actually do for society. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and if you can't, then, you know, and, or if you start, yeah, like, no, I'm not sharing my data because, uh, well, it would hurt my career because people might scoop me, um, even though other people can make discoveries from it. Like, if you, if you can't defend that, that's hard. And, you know, and of course, like, well, we have to have means for people to advance in their careers. Otherwise, people won't want to do science. And so you have to have a more complicated answer than either extreme but anyway yeah so well I'm, yeah that is that is kind of interesting i'm i'm glad i wasn't the only one kind of <laughs> thinking that yeah. you know just it is kind of an interesting the sort of internal versus external yeah and a, an interesting like in between is other fields that haven't been hit by replicability yet but are susceptible mm-hmm. to it so other sciences and i think for me it's really fascinating to watch so i went to a talk on campus recently where richard harris was talking about replicability problems in medicine and so most of the audience was from the med school and the the Q&A was like mind-boggling it was like exactly reproducing the dynamics that happened in social psych and I mean they're probably not behind us in terms of how they're dealing with replicability issues but in this particular Q&A it was like 
well, we now know that these dynamics are replicable because it was exactly the same like, expertise <laughs> and existence proof and this and that. And right. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, my God. And, and yeah, it was really interesting. So I think it's going to be really fascinating to watch this happen in other fields. And my hope is that we can contribute something to speeding up that process in other fields so they don't have to go through as much of the growing pains as we did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's sort of like, oh yeah, this this is this is what people were saying back in 2012, mm-hmm. and we mm-hmm. we figured that one out, you know, mm-hmm. like the black swan thing is, right. you know, anyway, yeah, it was a Loch Ness monster this. in this case, but yeah, yeah, which yeah, I saw you tweet about that, which cracked me up because that is that's like the perfect bad example right, like that's right, exactly right. why you know that's the, like the single instance existence proof that that's such a good example of why that's not a right, thing yeah. you know um, and why you know yeah. it, it needs to be verifiable just mm. because i said i saw bigfoot in the woods by my house doesn't mean you have to believe it you know um, anyway yeah. all right i i have a i have a whole rant teed up about the black swan thing which i'm not gonna go into right now <laughs> good um, self-control because, Sandra. Yeah. <laughs> well, because it's time for our letter. <laughs> so, uh, um, uh, yeah, let's uh, um, let's talk about our letter. Uh, Alexa, you want to you want to read us our letter of the week? I do. Yeah. So I picked this letter a little bit because I identify with the, the content of the letter. So it's a bit self-serving. Um, Dear Black Goat Trio, I'm a third year grad student in educational psychology. I drank the open science Kool-Aid three weeks ago. Since then, I've learned the very basic norms of Twitter, taken Daniel Locken's Coursera course, made some initial forays into the land of R, read a dozen articles and about 100 blog posts, followed all the SIPs 2017 updates, watched a number of OSF YouTube videos on pre-registrations and preprints, and listened to 20 or 30 hours worth of podcasts. Wow. So I've read this letter, but reading it out loud is exhausting. This person knows 10 times as much about replicability as I do. Um, Are you sure sure that was, they said three weeks and not three years? Yeah. Well, they they wrote three weeks. (laughs) That is fucking nuts. Okay, anyway, go on. Yeah, this is bananas. So this, this is that that is relevant to this person's concern okay so they go on to say although i am excited and energized by all of this info i'm also drowning in it for every item i've read watched or listened to there are at least 10 links to others i've saved in evernote or pocket or some other app i've been momentarily convinced might help me with this problem um and a constant feeling of missing countless others so while recognizing there's no way to stay on top of it all What is your advice to graduate students for balancing and prioritizing the incessant flow of information coming at them from a million and one different mediums, people, and organizations on a billion and one different topics? Sincerely anonymous. Um, Actually, I have a concrete answer to this. I never have concrete answers to letters. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to write this down. I have not taken Daniel Lackens' Coursera course. I haven't learned R, and I haven't read, you know, all the articles and blog posts I've listened to about two hours worth of podcasts in my life. <laughs> um, so, but Is that all the, our podcast? <laughs> yep, pretty much. Um, so, but the reason, yeah, so what I do do is I teach a course on replicability pretty much every year. And so I have my syllabus and on my syllabus, I have the like 15 or so most, what I consider the most important readings. And it changes a little bit from year to year, but I end up rereading the same things a lot from year to year. And I get so much out of that, that it makes me feel better about not reading everything because I feel like 
if I can identify the things that I think are most important and really understand those. So like I've had to read the P curve paper several times and I get something new out of it each time I've read like introduction, like Alex Etz's blog posts on Bayesian statistics several times and I still don't get it. Um, but I feel like I have my own list of like things I think I really want to understand. And right now that doesn't include R for example, and it doesn't include a lot of more sophisticated Bayesian stuff. And there's a lot that's not on my list right now. So I like give myself permission to limit it to the things that I find, like if I could have a really, really good handle on these things, I would feel comfortable with myself, but I give myself permission to not read a lot of other things. And then, yeah, I guess my point is that the fact that I still get stuff out of rereading those things, even the fourth and fifth time make me feel like the, it's not necessarily that important to have read everything. It's important to have understood the things that you're going to need to know and speak about and teach and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think one answer to this email is that it's impossible to keep up with everything. Um, So you do need to sort of decide how you're going to be selective about it. Um, And yeah, I think that your point is good, Samin, but I also, um, you talking about your Twitter feed the other day was sort of interesting to me. So I have, you know, mixed feelings about Twitter. Um, And like, you guys are always teasing me because I have no idea what's going on on Twitter. Um, And part of that is because... So part of it is because sometimes I am just overwhelmed by the amount of information on Twitter. And so I'll like look at my Twitter feed and it feels like a, like a to-do list almost. Like I'll see somebody like post about an idea or an article or something like that. And like this person says, I'll like think like, okay, I'm going to um, write a note to myself to like look into this later. I'll save the link or whatever. Um, and then it just seems like you have all of this stuff that you should be informed about, but you're not that like builds up. Um, and you were saying that your Twitter feed does not feel that way, mm-hmm. um, because of like the way you, uh, I don't know, because of the people that you follow or I don't know how you do it. Yeah. I feel like I, I, there's a lot of jokes in my Twitter feed and that makes it so much more bearable. So like I recommend like James Heathers and Jimmy Ivory and there's just like, it just makes everything else go down so much easier to have like lightheartedness and funniness and people teasing each other like a lot of the jokes is like back and forth between people who clearly like respect each other a lot but are like it's I find that stuff really fun I don't click on most of the links I don't I do click on links before I retweet them I read things before I retweet them like 95% of the time um but a lot of stuff I don't I come across that I know I should read I don't read and like I think should is such a complicated thing like there's there's so much stuff i should do and should read Mm -hmm. and should whatever but i the ones i end up clicking on are the ones that are really really close to my interests so like understanding p-values and under and then peer review is another one of my interests so i'm more likely to click on things that have to do with stuff like that and then there's so much stuff i leave to other people and then i hope that if i need to know i can ask them and they can give me like a summary or yeah. I I feel like the um I mean my first piece of advice to this person is like slow the fuck down but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. I I actually I feel like this is not it it might seem different in in some ways but it's actually it doesn't seem all that different from a new grad student who decides they're super interested in self-esteem and they type self-esteem into Google Scholar and they get 500,000 hits and they're like, oh my fucking God, what am I going to do? Or mm-hmm. I'm interested in working memory or I'm interested in the amygdala or, you know, whatever it is. And and when you're new to something, you're going to be, and you just try to dive in at that, like the level of like primary sources and ongoing conversations and whatever and read every latest study, 
and you're going to drown in it. And and as you get more into something, yeah, you like Samin was saying, you know, you you identify like a few things that you go back to that are are really resonating and deep, and also. You know, you find the like the review articles where people have done the reading for you, and I, I feel like this is getting to the point now where we're starting to have some like reviews and retrospectives. I'm, it's on my list. I haven't read it yet, but the Yuri Simonson, Leif Nelson, and Joe Simmons' uh, methodological renaissance, their annual review article. It's the annual review. It's great. It's going to be, you know, and their perspective is one that I'm always really interested in. And and I so they've written an annual review article that's like kind of their overview of the last five or six or seven years and, and where things are going. And so, you know, yeah, there, you find review articles, you find the things that, you know, you find sort of within the whole morass the things that you're interested in, like, do you want to learn R or not? You don't have to, you could, you know, do you want to dig into the stats side of things or do you want to dig into the, you know, um, whatever whatever else philosophy so, or ethics yeah or yeah 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 and so so I, I feel like this is actually the the like this letter could be about working memory or mm-hmm. it could be about stereotyping and it it could be very similar and in some sense like this is kind of this it's kind of cool because it reminds me of a, a, like a kind of experience I don't have as much anymore which I did have in graduate school which is like everything's new and exciting and you get really into something and you dive in and there's something like overwhelming but also cool about like immersing yourself in something brand new. Um, and so I think that's kind of cool. Um, but yeah, just uh, uh, <laughs> like slow, slow down and, and don't, you know, or don't actually don't slow down, but just don't feel overwhelmed by it or recognize that like being overwhelmed is is just kind of part of the process. Yeah, like if you can hang on to the excitement and that like, eagerness to consume everything but not like punish yourself for for not reading everything i think that's ideal i mean this person like i i don't even want people who are listening to think that like this person is in this person seems very abnormal like that they (laughs) consume so much information you know um so like this this the fact that this person is worried is like crazy yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's yeah, easy to so, think that yeah. everybody understands everything and knows everything. But like, I, you know, I've read Julia Rohr's post on colliders and I still couldn't tell you what a collider is. Like, I'd have to read it like four <laughs> more times to really get it. And I see this as like a community where there's really nice distributed knowledge, like different people have different pockets of expertise and interest and time and whatever and so one of the things i like about sips is like we come together and we like it's totally okay to not know about 80 or 90 or 99 percent of the things going on there you probably still have something something to contribute and the people who do know about it want to teach you and like there's no shame in in not knowing yeah and and you right as you as you get more into something you kind of get this mental map of the landscape and and you know within that landscape where you've gone deep and where you haven't but you you know then when new information comes in, you can kind of sort it into your categories, like, oh, this is a this, this is a that. And and it, your memory gets better for things so that later on, like if, if Samin, you know, uh, um, is in some situation, she's editing an article that's all about colliders, you know, even if she didn't wrap her head around it the first or second time, she'll know exactly where to go to sort of figure it out. Um, and so, so you kind of... In that sense, like you don't have to learn everything. You kind of once you develop a map of the landscape, and you know where the things that you don't know are, um, but you kind of know enough about it to know 
what you'd have to do if it was necessary, that it feels a lot more manageable. Mm -hmm. And again, I think this is the same thing as, as in research areas. You know, I know in the personality literature, there are certain things I know really well, and there are certain things I know of and know where to go look if I need to kind of refresh myself or if I need to go deeper than I, I know now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Well, I, yeah, hopefully, uh, I, I would be curious. This this does sound like an extreme outlier of somebody diving in. I, I am kind of curious if other people have, have had something uh, uh, comparable to it. Maybe uh, tweet at us or, or something and... and you know, I'll be curious what uh, uh, what people have to say. Um, I kind of want to yeah, write so, a version of this letter that accurately describes how much I've done in the last like three weeks. In the last five years, I've read like a few blog posts. I've pretended to read a few more. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm impressed that you read everything you retweet, Samine. I, I may, I may be, maybe maybe that may, I might be exaggerating. That, I don't want to lie, but like I think that, or at least if I if I do more than retweet it, if I tweet about it, like if I write my own tweet about yeah. it, but yeah. maybe not everything I retweet. Yeah, I think there've been yeah. a couple. I don't like watching videos and listening to podcasts, so there might be things I've retweeted that are that kind of medium that I haven't watched or listened to all the way through. Man, you're really selling us today, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, right. What are you doing? I was going to a podcast. Go read something. <laughs> I, was... I hate this medium that I'm in right now. <laughs> I think it's because I do a lot of my like pleasure replicability related reading at like 6 a.m. in bed. And I'm not awake enough yet to like watch a video or listen to something, but I can read apparently. I don't know. That's interesting. I don't. I. I don't really. I don't watch videos that much. I find them like, yeah. I want to sort of know the, the, the point, and I want to kind of read and be able to like skip past things and and spend more time with other things. But I. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, uh, just for some reason, like, uh, they're. They kind of, I have enough moments in my life where there's not too much and not too little else going on that they kind of fit into the, like, I can actually focus, but I, I'm not, like, I can't just, like, sit in the dark and listen to a podcast with nothing exactly else going on, but, like, if I'm driving or if I'm eating lunch, anyway, um, yeah. I once listened to a podcast while I was showering. <laughs> that would be so much better if people could see your facial expression. There you go. We're getting Samine waterproof headphones so she can listen to more podcasts. Um, cool. Well, well. Thanks to our our letter writer. Yeah. Um, and, Keep up the good uh, work. Yeah. And if if anyone listening, if you want to send us a letter, uh, you can email us letters at theblackcoatpodcast.com. And we're always interested in hearing what's on people's minds. We don't get to every letter we get, but we get to a fair number of them. And, and the ones we don't get are always like, I, I always find it interesting just to, like, to, to think about them and find myself wishing we could get to, to all of them. Um, and uh, yeah, if you're a listener, just you know, thank you for, for listening. And uh, if you want to interact with us or just keep up, uh, we're on Twitter at Black Goat Pod. Uh, we're on Facebook. Um, I actually, the URL, I, I always say just find us on Facebook. So we're actually facebook.com slash blackgoatpod. I looked it up before the episode today so I could say what our actual URL is. It's in the show notes too. Um, you can uh, uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. And if you rate us there, it helps people find us. Um, and you can just tell friends or you can just listen in the shower where nobody knows <laughs> that you're listening to us. Um, oh, and our website is www.theblackgoatpod.com. 
the blah, blah, the black goat podcast.com. Are you going to edit that out, Alexa, or are you going to leave my blah, blah? In? I'm going to leave it in. All right. Yep. Fuck. Okay. Anyway. So people can know that we don't edit so, things out. Um, I only edit out the stupid things that I say. Yeah, that's uh, th- that's not very much. That's uh, um, comparatively speaking, Alexa. You're uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm I, I like I, I I usually listen to our to at least part of and often all of our podcasts later on because I'm just kind of curious. Like you, they they usually come out like a couple weeks after we recorded them, and so I don't quite remember even what we said. Mm-hmm. And and I often have cringe moments at myself, but I really like listening to you guys. I feel Aww. the same way. <laughs> <laughs> I like listening to myself. No, I'm just yeah. kidding. <laughs> I feel like all of it is a surprise so to we, me. Even we need if it waterproof was waterproof like... headphones, we need wa- we need to get you waterproof headphones and a waterproof microphone. So I mean, yeah, you right. can just talk to yourself in the shower. <laughs> no, but it's amazing to me how even if we recorded it like three days before it came out, I'm still like, what are they going to say next? Yeah, it's also embarrassing. I listen to it and then me. I will laugh at stuff, and it's like this is a reused joke. I've already heard this joke, and I'll still laugh at it. Uh... Yeah. Well, okay. So for our main segment today, um, you know, we were, we've been talking about a lot of, uh, you know, serious stuff and, and we were kind of, we were like, what are we going to talk about today? And it's sort of like, uh, okay, so Alexa, Alexa's research is about beliefs and, and what makes them change or stay the same over time. Um, I study personality and what makes it change or stay the same over time. And, and Samin studies self-knowledge and what we know about ourselves and don't know about ourselves. And so, uh, yeah, we decided to just go full on me search and uh, um, talk about uh, what we all used to be like and what we know or don't know about what we are like now. Um, uh, so, you know, and especially what were we like before we were like academic people and and studying psychology and all that um what were we like as uh as samin pointed out kids is actually a pun which i didn't even realize when we were uh you know it's a small goat but uh um what were we like when we were kids figuratively and literally speaking um samin what were you like in high school (laughs) Uh, it's interesting because I just had my 20 year high school reunion like a couple weeks ago so it was really funny to be back in that environment and see people and then think about I think what was most striking to me is that I haven't changed like I think in high school like I didn't wear so I wear jeans a lot now so that has changed but I didn't wear jeans because I thought they were super uncomfortable and I like I don't know I was just this person who like wasn't willing to like make concessions to like what normal people do and I didn't uh-huh. really realize how much it made me different than other people. I think I was a little bit oblivious. And I think that's still true now. Like, I think I'm, I don't realize the things I do that make me stand out and that's not my intention, but then I'm like just too stubborn to not do them. Um, and like one, one example is when I was in high school. So I played sports year round, partly because my parents were like, don't come home at 3 PM. We have nothing for you to do. So like I had to find stuff to do after school so I played various different sports and my winter sport had always been basketball, but I was sick of being a bench warmer my senior year. And I told my mom, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do basketball this year. And she was like, well, do another winter sport then. And I was like, well, the only other ones are soccer and wrestling. Um, and I, and I was like, I don't want to do soccer. It's too cold outside. This is California. Um, so she was like, fine, then do wrestling. And then I was talking to a friend of mine who's on the wrestling team. And I told him this story and he was like, ha 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 ha. That's ridiculous. And I was like, oh, is it? So then I joined I, the wrestling team. 
<laughs> I told someone recently that you wrestled in high school and they did not believe me. Uh, they were just like, I mean, no, I actually didn't compete because I was the only girl in the league, but I practiced. And the only reason I like, well, besides the fact that my parents wanted me to have after school activities, but I also, I was like a very serious badminton player in high school. So I needed to do sports year round to stay in shape for badminton. So basically like my one line of like, what was I like in high school <laughs> is I did wrestling to stay in shape for badminton. That's what I was like in high school. <laughs> But I, I I love the I mean if we're talking about how like consistency and change I, I love the like that what made you really want to wrestle was someone telling you not to wrestle yeah that hasn't that, changed that, like, that's a that that's a a thing a, a category of thing I can completely see you doing now and and actually do to see sometimes now which yeah. is like if there's something you want to do and someone tells you not to do it you want to do it even more. Yeah, especially um, if they tell me that like I'm just I'm not able to do it, like I'm not good enough to do it or something like that. I'm like, oh, like I think like being rejected <laughs> for the NSF twice as a you know the graduate fellowship was like probably like one of the most motivating things for me in grad school. Was like, oh, NSF doesn't think I'm good enough. Okay, challenge accepted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so I mean, I I don't I, I just want to let you know that I'm I don't think you can understand collider bias. I I think that's beyond <laughs> your cognitive <laughs> capability. God damn it. <laughs> Shout out Julia Rohr. You're going to get a bunch of hits from Davis, <laughs> California on your blog now. <laughs> the quality that you're talking about to mean that, so maybe not the like defiant part of it, but the like obliviousness to what other people think. <laughs> I think, so I think that I've made an effort to sort of cultivate that. And I think that that's a quality of mine that sort of like changed over time. Like I think when I was younger, I would, I mean, I, I, I'm still really agreeable, and so I think that some element of that is, like, caring what other people think. Um, but I think partly moving from Toronto to Alabama and just having, like, none of the people who knew me when I was a kid, um, I felt like I could sort of, like, yeah, uh, do things that, um, like, not wear jeans, although I, I wear jeans, but, you know, things like that, um, more than I did when I was growing up. And I think when, when I was growing up, I think people sort of, like, um, saw me as like pretty conventional and I had the opportunity to become less conventional when I moved to Alabama. And also the timing of me moving to Alabama was like sort of not that long after you and I became friends. And I think that that's not like, that's not a coincidence too. I was like, well, Samin gets away with doing all this dumb shit. Like, like. <laughs> I remember one time I went to a conference and I forgot to bring nice shoes and all I had were my bright orange Pumas and someone was like, oh, well, you're Samin, so you can get away with it. And I was like, no, that's not, that was not the intention. Um, but yeah, maybe I'm glad if I had that influence on you. But so yeah. you were you were more conventional, is it, when you were younger? I think so, yeah. Um. Yeah, I think it's I think it's just a byproduct of being of caring a lot what other people think. Yeah, you know something you said, Alexa, is really interesting to me because I I've I you know this is something that was really salient to me when I went from high school to college. You know, you talked about moving from Toronto to Alabama where nobody knew you, and I had this big experience going from high school to college. Of you know, I went to college far away from home where you know. Nobody, nobody from my high school was there. Like nobody knew what I had been like before. And in sort of from middle school to high school, I kind of, um, I didn't realize this at the time, but I, you know, sort of like the, you know, in, in middle school, I was this like, f I was fat and kind of socially outcast and, 
you know, sort of not extreme bullied, but like normal fat kid bullied. And, uh, um, you know, and, and in high school, kind of, I, I sort of went through this a bit of a, you know, I, I sort of physically changed, but also kind of, I got just a little bit more sort of self-possessed um, uh, and less insecure, um, but was still pretty insecure. But then I, I got to college, and, and I, but I also, I, like, I realized later, I didn't understand this at the time, that, like, I think the way other kids interacted with me was sort of lagged by a few years. And, and you kind of, like, you acquire this reputation yeah, in right. the community of people. And people sort of are more consistent in how they interact with you. And if you're in a part of your life where you're changing a lot, there's a sort of tension between it. And I just remember having this experience going to college. Of all of a sudden, it's like, the only like uh, it's a fr- it's a blank slate and the only thing people know about me is what the new impression they're forming now of the person i am now they're not sort of like you know still kind of treating me like the you know sort of remnants of who i was 5 years ago or whatever um and that that was a really interesting experience for me because i felt like a lot of the development that i did in in high school didn't get sort of reflected back from my social world until I left. Yeah. Um, not entirely true. I mean, there certainly like friend, like consistent mm-hmm. friends I had, um, you know, my close friends were, you know, were obviously sort of my close friends and, and there, you know, there were people and whatever, but it was, there was definitely, a, so it's not like it was zero change in high school, but there was this noticeable kind of like break. It sounds like Alexa, you had kind of that when you moved to Alabama. Yeah, that's exactly the feeling that I would. And, and I felt the, um, being sort of misunderstood a little bit on both ends. Right. So like, I felt like, um, in Alabama I could start new. So, so people sort of like had a really up-to-date version of like what I was like um but then they also didn't have the history of knowing me so there were like things that took a long time to establish with people in Alabama that other people I think that knew me when I was younger would have already sort of taken for granted um but yeah definitely like the sort of feeling I think it is more difficult to change a lot when you're around the same group of people all the time just Mm -hmm. because they have like these expectations of you and they see you through a certain lens and they're like yeah and it's sort of unsettling for your friends to change in big ways too so i think um not all friends are that supportive of that yeah yeah i i i wonder uh um yeah i wonder what people sort of i actually i don't know externally how much people would have thought i changed exactly um that's that you know that's kind of like like if you know, sort of people who knew me before and after that transition. But, you know, and I mean, every that's a period of life when everybody's changing in a lot of really big, or I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of people are changing in these sort of big and interesting ways. Yeah. I don't know. But I'll, the, so the flip side of that is I, I, I have this sort of funny experience that like stands out in my memory. Um, although this, this says more about the, the person, um, the, the perceiver than the targets. But uh, there was this, um, this, this person in my grad program um who uh um i just remember this like multiple conversations where she didn't get that i hadn't been cool in high school um and but she did it turned out she was like this with everybody so like she very rarely for 
a PhD graduate student had been cool in high school. And so, you know, you would just be like having conversations with her and she would just like make these presumptions. Like, so, you know, like when you were dating people in high school, blah, 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 or, you know, like when you used to, you know, yeah. I mean, this isn't literally, but it was, it felt like, you know, when you were drinking under the bleachers and smoking yeah, cigarettes right. with your friends in high school, like what, you know, and I was just like, no, like I was in the March, I was on the bleachers in my band <laughs> uniform. Like, <laughs> you know, and it, but it, it was it was this like it was this funny thing where it's like so there was a part of me that was like even though you know I I had changed in some ways I mean I, I've always remained a giant nerd but you know sort of the the manifestations changed but I, there was a part of me that was like can't you tell that I was just like a giant fucking nerd in high school like <laughs> but I think some of that was just projection from her she was actually. There's this weird way that, like, she was the outlier in a grad program for, like, having been a normal kid in yeah. high school. Because, or a, a cool normal kid. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think she was. Anyway, yeah. But it was this kind of funny experience. Wait, so now I have to check my assumptions. Alexa, were you cool in high school? No. Really? No, I, don't I don't know if I believe no. you. Do you think you're I think cool like... now? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely cooler now, I think. Okay. Okay. Um, Alexa, you, you seem so cool on Instagram, I just have to say. Like, oh, uh, yeah? Um, I mean, you're too cool. Your friends are, like, you, you're hanging out with all these, like, artists and people <laughs> with tattoos and, like, people with, like, really awesome hey, angular haircuts. I have a tattoo. I have a road that tattoo. Kind of That's the coolest <laughs> tattoo. <laughs> Um, I did yeah, tell my definitely... class about my row tattoo after our last teaching conversation, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that, is, that is a way to take something that, like, ought to be cool and just make <laughs> it, like, make it you. <laughs> okay, so what were you like in high school, Alexa? Um, well, so I went to, okay, so I went to high school with, I was in a, a gifted program within a school that was not entirely a gifted program, so there was, like, uh, the people who were taking gifted classes and the people who weren't, which creates like a really weird environment. Um, th- so there's like a way in which, like among my friends, I wasn't unpopular, but I, th- but then like nobody was unpopular. There were this was like a small group of us, um, and my group of friends was also extremely sheltered. So like you're saying, you're talking about Sanjay, right? Like my group of friends, like they were dating people. We had all known each other since we were like in fourth grade and we were all grossed out by each other. And it was like 90% boys and stuff. And so like, uh, I, yeah, I mean like we were really nerdy. Like I know that people will like refer to themselves in high school and they're like, Oh yeah, I liked my math class. So like I was a nerd, even though I seem like a cool person now. And, and that's like, that's not what I mean. Like we were definitely, we were definitely really nerdy. Um, and yeah, had very little, uh, of the, like, I didn't have the experiences that, like, that, that people in teen movies have, and I don't, I don't know if anyone in real life does, but, like, I, my, my high school experience was really far from that, like, I, I barely drank in high school, like, I think probably I drank at my, maybe, like, a little bit, I had a Smirnoff Ice or something at my, my high school prom, um, but I didn't, yeah, drink, I had, like, basically no dating experience, like, I, yep, i just like had nerdy friends and we hung out my dad was like upset that my boyfriend was going to drive us to high school prom because he didn't want us to be driving home because of all the drinking we would be doing which was hilarious (laughs) because actually i didn't drink in high i didn't even drink in college so but my parents like 
my parents like were totally out of touch with what my life and my high school were like so they thought i was like my mom yeah they thought i was doing a lot more stuff than i was i remember i called my mom before the first time i had sex and she was like what like haven't you been having sex for years (laughs) (laughs) wait you called her to tell her i had to ask her advice about it Oh my god! I didn't know this. Wow, know. you have That's such adorable. a good relationship with your moms to me. Yeah, that is, it is yeah. unusually good. Uh, see, I was I was such a giant nerd that my parents didn't even worry. Like <laughs> they, they weren't concerned that I was. Uh, they were they were actually when I started drinking in college and I finally let on. They were surprised that I had started drinking because they, you know, I didn't drink at all in high school. And I was kind of like I was I was a little bit of an insufferable prick about like telling people that I didn't drink because (laughs) which was really like my defense mechanism against the fact that I never got invited to any events where people (laughs) drank. So I decided it was just going to be my thing. Uh, And as soon as I got to college and there was like a keg at a thing and someone's like, you want one? I'm like. Uh, yeah, this is, you're the first person that ever asked. I'm so happy now. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I think yeah. I got to college and, and my high school, like very few people, or at least I didn't know many people who drank. I went to a weird high school. And then I got to college and like people were throwing up like before the first day of classes. And I was like, oh my God, this alcohol thing seems terrible. I'm never drinking. And it wasn't until grad school that I, even, even in grad school, like I remember... Sam, my advisor, gave me a six-pack of Bud Lights for my birthday once because, like, that was, like, the level <laughs> of drinking that I did in grad school. I was like, maybe I can handle half a Bud Light. Um, yeah, something really turned me off of alcohol early on, but I'm getting over That's it now. Interesting. Mm. So how much, how much was, for you guys, how much do you feel like how you've changed, like, how you changed during high school and how you changed after was, like, sort of... E- This is a kind of weird way of putting it, but like coming from inside of you versus like sort of changing by changing outside of you, like, you know, changing friends or changing um, commitments, things you did or whatever versus like, you know, um, I don't know where else it would come from. But does that make any sense? Yeah. I mean, so this is I don't know. This is like a weird answer to your question. But the changing from inside of me part, I feel like happened for me in the last like four years. Like, I don't remember ever feeling as much of a sense of like agency and autonomy and actually after the day after the election last year I read an article a a column by Lindy West where she talked about like why she was so crushed that Hillary Clinton didn't win and one of the reasons she said was like she wanted her daughters to see themselves as like capable of anything and having a sense of agency and and not because men gave her that gave them that permission or like whatever and I realized like how much of my life I I did things because other people told me that I could which kind of goes against what we said before about me but (laughs) but there is so much that was like like I had to be pressured really heavily into going to grad school by one of my professors thank god they did but like I it just despite my stubbornness about things like wrestling or whatever like I didn't take control of my life very much until until much much more recently like I think we think of it as something you do in adolescence but for whatever reason for me it was like yeah, in the last few years. And I think most of the change that happened before that was much more external. Like, I can't remember why I chose to go to Carleton College in Minnesota coming from California. But yeah, that external environment probably changed me quite a bit. Um, yeah, I, I would say like most of my early like childhood and early adulthood, it was the world changing me more than me taking control. Do you know what the switch was? Um. 
I mean, the obvious answer is having having power, having control, like having yeah. tenure and having positions where what I do and say matters. And like like being an advisor actually to graduate students was the first time that I was like, holy shit, what I do can like make or break someone's day or even week. Um, mm-hmm. And that was a bizarre experience. And then, you know, other roles like that where... I mean, I think honestly, like having a blog was like, I didn't expect anybody to pay attention or listen. And then I was like, oh, people are listening. I have a voice. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like that. I mean, yeah, I think that it's the obvious explanation and that's probably the right one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you ask the question, Sanjay, um, maybe this is like a, a social psychologist talking, but I was just like, well, what do you mean? Like, what else would there be aside from external influences (laughs) (laughs) um but i sort of know what you mean too samin like i think that i don't know growing up i definitely feel like in grad school and i think my my advisor mickey would say this too in fact this may be the reason that i think that this happened is that mickey told me that it did um was that i had a pretty big switch from being like motivated by other people telling me what I should be doing to like more being intrinsically motivated. So like when I started graduate school, I kind of didn't really like it that much. And I basically treated it like undergrad where it was like, I had to do things because Mickey was telling me that I had to do them. And you know, like I wasn't really that intrinsically interested in the first projects that I worked on and stuff like that. Um, and then at some point that also switched and I, felt like I could actually motivate myself to do my work because I wanted to do it. Um, Yeah. I think that that's a really important thing. And it's one of the reasons advisors are so important is because I think also for me, when I started feeling more agency and taking control of my life more was when other people treated me as an authority on my own life. And the first, first experience I remember is Sam, my advisor. Like I remember walking into grad school, 21 years old and Sam treating me as if I had authority not just over research, but even just like, I don't know, just that what I care, what I thought mattered and what I said mattered. And then there were other people later in my life, really important people, including you guys and others who I never expected to them to care what I said or thought. And seeing that they did made me take myself more seriously and like actually ask myself, well, what kind of person do I want to be? But right. I don't remember wondering that as an adolescent. I don't know. What about you, Sanjay? Did you think about that kind of stuff? Were you intrinsically driven? In- yeah, I I feel like I can't I can't describe in like a long term arc where I either started being more sort of internal agency driven or less or whatever. But I feel like that that tension and that dynamic has been uh, like trying to trying to sort of navigate that or trying trying to find like balance that has been a consistent theme for a very long time in my life right so so even going back to you know we, we were, you know we were talking about high school like in in high school sort of trying to figure out like how how do i you know when should i be making decisions based on you know what i want to do and and trying to not sort of do what other people whether it's my parents or my friends or whatever or other people around me want me to do and when when should I be influenced by that and you know when I and and through college and through grad school and career and that kind of thing and you know I I, I do sometimes feel like when I'm 
like some of the really tough things or decisions I look back on and I wonder if that was the right decision or often decisions where I feel like I was caring too much what other people thought but that and then at the same time like developing a life and a, a sort of set of relationships that are actually meaningful where I do care what other has been said, what other people like how I affect other people and they affect me and all that has been a really positive part of my life. And so it's, Mm -hmm. I I feel like that's just like that question of sort of when and in what ways do I kind of follow my own, you know, yeah, my, my own sort of, um, what, what I experience is like coming from within and, and I, you know, I'll take Alexa's, uh, uh, social psychology perspective that how you experience it and the actual causality may not be the same thing, mm-hmm. but, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, like, like, you know, in, um, yeah, in, in, in high school, I, I think that there was also, you know, I'm, I'm a closet or maybe not closet, but I'm an Ericksonian. I'm a kind of closet Ericksonian ish. And I, I feel like my, my path through high school was like sort of my freshman year of high school. I kind of hadn't really sort of deeply dived into the kind of identity exploration stuff. And then sophomore year of high school, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And actually, although I didn't realize it at the time, went through a period of depression where I like just sort of didn't know what the fuck was going on with myself or any of that. And then kind of, you know, trying to figure out who I was through, you know, the rest of high school and sort of getting back on my feet and that kind of thing. Um, but I do sometimes feel some, you know, as as now a 40-something-year-old man, like, revisiting those identity issues and, and that when I'm feeling sort of directionless or unmoored, um, you know, trying to figure out, like, well, what do I actually want out of this and, and what should I be doing? Um and, you know, am I just following other people because it's the path of least resistance or caring what other people think because it's the path of least resistance? So I feel like that's something that's been since I was a teenager all the way through now. It comes it comes and goes, but it's always there. I have a very high school story that I think relates to that. Um, and I it's very <laughs> fuzzy in my mind, but it came back to me for a reason that will become clear. Um, so my freshman year of high school, I was like kind of making a new group of friends. My middle school friends, the band, the group had like split up. And so I was trying to find new friends. And I remember there was some field trip and there was a guy that I liked and there was some dance that was coming up and there was stuff. And there was some other girl that liked the same guy and she was like spreading rumors about me. And I don't remember exactly what happened, but some bad shit went down. And I remember thinking like, this feels like bullshit. Like this all just feels like a lot of bullshit and then I didn't end up becoming friends with those people and I found other friends and then fast forward 23 years later at my 20 year high school reunion this guy comes up to me and I I were Facebook friends and I can tell that he's turned into like a really good person like he, he seems like someone I would really like now and all I knew from high school was that like there was this like vague bad thing that happened that I think he was kind of responsible but there was it was also we were all probably acted kind of badly and he like came up to me and he put his hand on my back and he's like, Samin, I just want to say like I think I was a dick to you in high school and I'm really sorry. And like and I was and I like didn't want him to feel bad. I was like, oh, we were all dicks in high school, whatever. But it was like such a cliche high school reunion thing. But at the same time, it was also like kind of validating my like 14 year old self or whatever. That like, yeah, that was bullshit. So like mm-hmm. it's kind of a good lesson <laughs> for the future. Like if something feels like bullshit in the moment, maybe it is bullshit. Um, yeah okay so, so so do you feel like at your fest shrift when you retire <laughs> are there people in your life now that are going to come up to you and be like samin 
I'm so sorry I was such a dick to you when you were like an associate professor. (laughs) No, I think I think that was a very like ninth grade specific kind of bullshit experience. But I don't know. I guess there's probably the associate professor equivalent of like a girl spreading rumors about you to the boy that you like and wanted to ask out to Sadie Hawkins or whatever. Right. I don't know what the associate um, professor equivalent is. Yeah, I don't know either. Oh, I have a, is that just, this is a random story, but th- this tell, this is just to reinforce, since you said Sadie Hawkins, this is just to reinforce what a giant nerd I was. Um, and I still to this day don't know what actually happened, but my uh, freshman year of high school, my high school had a Sadie Hawkins dance, and uh, a girl uh, in, in my math class came up to me and said, so Sanjay, are you going to the Sadie Hawkins dance? And I, and I wasn't planning to go and nobody had asked me, so I just said, no, I'm not going. <laughs> and then, like, literally, like, five years later, like, I, I just, that that memory sort of, like, kind of dissipated and went to the back. And five years later, I, like, smacked my head. And I was like, was she asking me to Sadie Hawkins dance? <laughs> and I was just so fucking clue. Anyway, sorry. That, I just had to throw that out there. Mm-hmm. Um, if, as yourselves now, you could give advice to your younger selves um what would you guys say do you know the answer to that question alexa (laughs) well i want to say so this is something where like it's not clear to me whether i so i want to say like basically worry less what other people think um but i'm i'm conflicted about that for a couple of reasons one is that like I think maybe we're sort of like motivated to feel like we are becoming like better and more mature and more independent and more whatever agentic as we get older. And so we actually like underestimate how much we were like that when we were younger. Um, And then also like Sanjay says, like there are a lot of nice things about caring what other people think and allowing yourself to be influenced by other people. Um, But I just like, I, I think I look back on myself in high school and college and stuff like that and yeah I don't know like I wish that I had cared less about you know what you're like supposed to be like or like what it's like to be cool or whatever I wish I didn't care about that definitely did then I think maybe I would tell my younger self the same thing I told the letter writer which is that I think it's okay to be good at few things like you don't have to be good at everything and like I remember in Uh, high school like taking you know bio and chem and physics and history and and I sucked at most of those things and like why would we expect someone to be good at so many different things um and I think yeah it it turns out that you only really need to be good at a few things to have a decent life yeah that's you should tell your current self that (laughs) i think you well okay maybe maybe you've been good about narrowing down the list of things that you care about but i still feel like it's like not acceptable to you to be no no actually i think it's maybe it's fine but you don't you're not okay with like being average at things huh i think yeah maybe yeah i prefer i remember do you remember telling me that i had a really average personality samine what? 
Do you remember telling me I had like a really average personality? No, I think <laughs> I don't remember that, but I'm sure I You're didn't mean it that way. You're in the middle of the distribution way. on everything. No, you were very clear that you didn't mean it as an insult. You were like, "Yeah, no, trust me, I'm a personality psychologist. It's good to be average." <laughs> Thanks, but you, yeah. You're you're definitely extreme on like low neuroticism, I would say, and a few other things. Yeah. Um, what would you say to your younger yeah, selves on James? Um, there's this thing called therapy, <laughs> and you should get it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm 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 kind of not kidding. Um, I I feel like when I mean, there, you know, there's all kinds of things I could have probably known right but uh um you know there's there's research i think it's vicky medvick does she go by victoria or vicky anyway victoria medvick and tom gilovich have done research on regret and and there's a study i love i don't know if it's replicable or not but i believe it which is that people's biggest regrets are the things they didn't mm-hmm. do that w- they wish they did not the things that they did do and wish they hadn't um and i feel like the you know when i look back at in my own memory, those are that definitely feels consistent with my own memory, and that the things that I didn't do that I regret not doing were mostly because of anxiety out of ri- about taking risks, um, or or about trying new things and unknown things. Um, and I'm a pr- I'm a pretty high like openness person, and so you know I had that tension between my openness and neuroticism <laughs> quite a bit as a young person. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so if I could go back in time, I would say there's this thing called exposure therapy for your anxiety. And if you go see a therapist um, and, you know, things like, I mean, I had terrible anxiety about um, asking people out on dates, for example. I found that incredibly aversive. That was part of the reason I didn't date much in high school and, and the dating that I did do, the person I did date in high school asked me and, you know, the... Um, even in college, you know, I'm I'm trying to remember if anyway, yeah. Um, Have you uh, figured yeah, that so I, one out? Because maybe you could tell our listeners how to deal yeah. with that problem. <laughs> uh, specifically with asking people on yeah, dates, you mean? Yeah. Or um, no, I uh, um, I, I yeah. Well, I have figured it out. I'm married. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <so> I, <don't, laughs> I now it's gotten easy. It can just be like, hey, hey, Chris, can can we? Actually, she's the one. She actually, okay. She, <laughs> my wife is still the one that arranges our dates, but it's not out of my anxiety. It's just mm-hmm. out of the fact that she's like more proactive than I am. But uh, yeah, no, um, right. It, getting getting into a long term relationship solved a lot of that for me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. A topic for um, another show. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that that that'll be one of Dating our future advice. episodes. Is yeah. da- oh, I, I I thought you meant therapy. Oh, but, no. uh, <laughs> we could all talk about oh. being in therapy. Anyway, um, cool. Well, I I think that's probably uh, um, that's probably a, a good note. To, uh, it's not a good note to end on, but we're done anyway. So. <laughs> right. so thank you everybody for listening to the Black Goat, uh, and uh, we'll uh, see you next time.